Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. If you haven't already, uh, picked up in the back uh, with families, uh, kids eight years old or younger, there's a resource back there to help you get into this book of Ephesians that we began looking at last week as we looked at this idea in this series entitled simply Together, we looked at how we are together blessed. That in Christ, that in Christ, the heart of blessing has to do not with those areas of life that you can see and taste and touch, but with those areas of life you can't. You can't snap a photo of them, right? We started to look at this last week. It doesn't have to do with those areas of life that you can see and taste and touch, but the areas you can and what God does with them and what He has done specifically for us in the past by adopting us as His sons, what He's done for us in the present, forgiving us of our sins, and what He's done for us in the future, securing for us an inheritance all in Christ. We started to look at this idea of what it means for us to be together, specifically together blessed. And we're going to find today that the third of these three aspects of what it means to be blessed, that we have a, a, an inheritance that has been secured for us in the future, we're going to find that this becomes Paul's preoccupation as he finishes out this chapter with a prayer. This is what he dwells on as he closes out this first chapter of the book of Ephesians, which is what we're going to begin right now by reading. So you can turn there if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to pick up in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Let me read it. You can follow along with me as I do that. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. This is God's word. It says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places." far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we pray that you would speak to us now, 
through your word. And I pray with Paul that you would give us, even now, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation that we might know you. That we might live in your world your way and that we might be wise and that our wisdom would be based on what you've told us about yourself and on what you've told us about us and about where we're going and whether it'll be worth it. How you've promised that we're going to get there in the end. All in Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. So as I get used to this up here, let me tell you that one of my favorite shows as a teenager growing up was a show called Survivor Man. Does anybody remember Survivor Man? You had to be a particular type to like Survivor Man. Les Stroud was a Canadian musician who began documenting himself, trekking off into the wilderness, into the desert or the tundra or the jungle, and with no camera crew would film himself attempting to survive the elements for 10 days as he made his way from his entrance in to his exit out with nothing but a pocket knife and a harmonica. Les Stroud, the Canadian musician, survivor man. But over the course of his career, Stroud became a spokesman for surviving not just the elements, but all that life has to throw at you. And has said that important as it is to know at any given time in the midst of some situation where you came from and where you are, More than that, surviving in the wilderness requires a never-yielding will to live. That's what Stroud said. Surviving in the wilderness requires a never-yielding will to live. And I think he'd agree that this will to live is not just about knowing where you came from or where you are, but about knowing where you're going and whether it's going to be worth it when you get there. And that no matter what stands in your way, you're going to get there in the end. Can you picture what this is like? You picture this stranded in the middle of a wilderness where knowing where you're going and what's going to get your knowing where you're going is what's going to get your feet moving, right? And then knowing that it's worth getting there in the end is what's going to happen when the going gets tough. It's going to allow you to dig your heels in, right? And then knowing that you're going to get there in the end, that no matter what stands in your way is going, even when you have nothing left, allow you to keep trekking on. And the Apostle Paul, the end of this first chapter of Ephesians, I think would very much agree that surviving in an ultimate sense, when 
You've been abandoned by everyone you love, and your body has been beaten and bruised. And you, you feel like life is out of control or slipping through your fingers. Whether your spouse has failed you or your, your kids have failed you or your friends have failed you. That it's about knowing. Survival is about knowing where you're going. That's going to get your feet moving. It's about, it's about knowing not just where you're going, but whether it's worth it. That's going to allow you to dig your heels in when things get tough. And it's about knowing that no matter what stands in your way, you're going to get there in the end. That's going to allow you even when you've got nothing left, to keep trekking on. Which is exactly what Paul prays for us in this passage today. Having just laid out in verses 3 to 14 where we came from and where we are and where we're going, he picks up on this last piece of the journey and prays that we would know as followers of Christ where we're headed to get us moving and and that it's worth it, that we could dig our heels in. And that, no matter what stands in our way, we're going to get there in the end, so that even when we don't think we have what it takes, we're going to keep trekking on. This is what Paul prays, and we're going to start by looking at his prayer, at where in his prayer he, he prays that we would know where we're going. Paul says in verse 15, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, because you're already on the journey, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. A, a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him. To live in God's world, God's way. That's wisdom, right? And to do it according to God's word. That's revelation. But he says further that you would have, in verse 18, the eyes of your hearts enlightened. What does that look like? Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know first what is the hope to which he has called you. Paul prays that we would know first where we're going, not just the direction we're headed, but the destination we're headed to. It's about what's waiting for us on the other side. He says, for this reason, I thank God for where he's gotten you, because God's the one who's done it, right? It's God's work. But it's important to see that Paul's thankfulness here isn't a, a satisfied thankfulness. It's not a thank you, but no thank you. It's a yes, thank you, and could you pass the potatoes? He's not, it's not a satisfied thankfulness, right? It's interesting. He says, I'm thankful for what God's already done in your life. But his thankfulness leads on very seamlessly into a request for more. That's important to see. And I think that's important to see because... I think we've got to recognize that it's easy to slip into a satisfied thankfulness, a, 
a thank you but no thank you attitude where we're truly grateful for the work that God's done in our loved ones or those we live with week by week or even in ourselves. We're truly thankful for the journey that we found ourselves on. But we're satisfied with where we've gotten to. And yet Paul's not. Paul's not. His thankfulness that we're on this journey merely leads into a request for more. I think we do this sometimes with, um, most of all, with our own leaders. Can you see that attitude that we can perpetuate sometimes, even with our own leaders? Your church. You know, I've been in a number of different contexts now, and I've gotten to be a part of churches, some that were on the rise, some that were in decline. And one of the most common denominators in churches that were on the decline were leaders who thought or were thought of by others as having already arrived. And it's important for each and every one of us. I'm thankful even as I've gotten to walk a little bit with with our other elders that this is not the case here, but it's important that we not only passively avoid this, but we actively guard against it, that our thankfulness, any reason for thankfulness would lead on to an opportunity to ask for more. Because survival isn't about whether we've arrived. Survival in the the Christian life isn't about whether we've arrived. Survival is about our arrival at the finish line. Which is why we should pray with Paul that we'd have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, is what he says, that we might know first what is the hope to which we've been called. The hope to which we've been called. This word Paul uses to describe it, the the hope to which we've been called, it, it isn't like we use this word. Maybe some of us are hoping that our pumpkin wins in the pumpkin fest. Or or that the, the Bears will win the Super Bowl or the Packers. Or maybe it's not, maybe it's just this week. This isn't the hope that Paul's talking about. Because Paul's talking about a hope that's rooted in the call of God. A calling that's called us out of darkness and drawn us into light. A call that's not, that's not empty or fanciful, but a call that's rooted in God. Paul prays that we would know the hope to which we've been called. Because this is a, this is a God thing. Because God's the one that's done it. And God's the one that'll do it in the end. Paul prays that we would know the hope to which we've been called, that we would know where we're going, because knowing that will get our feet moving. But he also prays that we would know that it'll be worth it when we get there. He prays at the end of this verse that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened, knowing not only the hope to which we've been called, but also, what he says, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. You see it there? 
the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. That you would know the hope and that you would know the riches. That we, that we would know that it'll be worth it when we get there. That the end is going to justify the journey. You ever wonder whether it will? Whether the end is going to justify the journey? It's been good for me this week to reflect a, a bit on what Paul's saying here, that God isn't a just-get-by kind of God. You know what I mean by that? I'm a just-get-by kind of guy. If you don't need it, you don't need it, right? Cut the corners, save a penny. I've spent a lot of time in this last week or two at Menards, standing in front of shelves, looking at products, one, the one I know I need, and the other, the one that's not going to put so much of a dent in my budget. I'm a just-get-by kind of guy. Isn't it good that God is not a just-get-by kind of God? He's not cutting the corners. He's not, he's not saving the penny. He's doing it right because he's doing his thing, and it's all about what? His inheritance. The wondrous thing is that his inheritance is us. God's going to do right by his own. He's going to do it. He's going to do it better than you uh, and I ever could because this is God's thing. So Paul prays that we would know just that, that it will be worth it so that it not only gets our feet going, but knowing that it's worth it when things get tough, that it's times like those we dig our heels in. There's a story about John Stott, a famous English preacher. Some of you will know the name of the last century. He was teaching a course to up-and-coming ministers. And John Stott, if you knew him as a preacher or as a teacher, he, he never really, he never really uh, went off script, sort of like me which is why I don't mean, it doesn't matter being tied to the mic, I'm tied to my papers. John Stott was a lot like that, so I take comfort in that. There was a moment during this lecture to these up-and-coming ministry students where John Stott was trying to explain to them that if he was asked to do it again, he would live his life over again for the sake of the gospel. But at that moment, at that point in his lecture, he stopped, he paused. And he said, no. If I had to do it again, I would do it a thousand times over. And because of that, I'll live whatever time God gives me for the same thing. Why? Because it's worth it. Because it's worth it. Because where we're headed will justify the journey. When it comes to surviving the hurt of life and following Christ, when the following gets hard, 
It's about knowing where you're going and that it'll be worth it when you get there. But as much as Paul prays that first we would know where we're going and second that we would know that it'll be worth it, the bulk of Paul's prayer focuses on lastly our knowing that no matter what stands in our way, we're going to get there in the end. But where Les Stroud and those like him would say that your survival is dependent on your never-yielding will to live. Paul prays that you would know something very different. Paul prays that you would know, in verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. That you would know the inestimable magnitude of God's ability to get you where you're going. So that somehow, when you've got nothing left to give, you keep trekking on. You're going to get there. But it's not you. It's not Les Stroud. But it's God's power that's going to do it. You ever wonder if you're going to make it? You ever wonder? I've wondered that a lot in the little things of life. There's been moments. Are you going to make it? I've put myself into very dumb situations where that question mark has been quite significant. Do you ever wonder if you're going to make it in a more significant sense? We lived in Scotland. We used to we used to trek out to the sand dunes on the North Sea, and Emmett was just five at the time. Alethea was three. And as we were playing, there would come these moments where they would run off towards the sand dunes, mile high, incredibly beautiful, and they would start to climb. But inevitably, as the slope got steeper, they would begin to slip back down. Can you picture it? And they would try again and again and again until it became very evident, and you could even see it in their eyes, that they knew if left to themselves, they weren't going to make it. Until good old dad came running up behind them and picking them up and throwing them up the hill until we were on the top, looking out over the North Sea with the oil rigs and the ships coming by until good old dad. Sand dunes don't matter much. But we serve a God who's very much the same who's big enough and strong enough to come bounding up behind, to pick us up and carry us to where we ought to go. And if there's ever a doubt that he's not strong enough to do it, as if my life is the Gordian knot he can't untie, Paul then goes on to say, he goes out of his way, to say that he's going to do it. He does this with the very strength that raised Jesus from the dead. 
You see it there? If you want a, a knot to untie, that's the knot. Jesus dead. But he does this with the same strength that he raised Jesus from the dead. And not just raised him up, but it says seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. As verse 21 says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Have you ever felt like heaven and hell were pitted against you? Have you ever felt that? I'm going to raise your hand if you felt that. I've felt that before. Like it was me versus the world and the powers of heaven and hell. What Paul's saying, though, is the one who defeated hell, the one who reigns in heaven, is the one who does it on your behalf. We were watching... Um, Prince Caspian recently. Have you seen it? At least read the book. It's a C.S. Lewis story. And there's a point in the narrative that the army of the enemy is retreating to regroup. They've lost a battle, but still think that they could win the war. And they're retreating uh, across the bridge of Baruna that they built in order to invade a country called Narnia. And as they're retreating, up on the other side of the bridge comes a little girl, Lucy. Standing there out of her pocket, from her side, she draws a little dagger probably no bigger than Les Stroud's pocket knife. And you could see it on the, on the leaders of the enemy army. that They're almost amused at what they're standing before. Until up behind Lucy walks a lion named Aslan. You ever feel like it was you versus the world? Like you've got nothing left to give. And left to yourself, you don't have what it takes. Paul's prayer here is that you would ultimately know that it's not you that's going to get you where you're going. That it's God. That it's God who's done it and God who will do it in the end. Paul says that God put all things under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. It's God's strength which resided in Christ, who now resides fully in everyone who follows him, to do what we can, so that when life is at its worst, and you know that there's nothing left and left to yourself, you can't do it, you might know not only where you're going and that it'll be worth it when you get there, but also the guarantee that you're going to get there no matter what stands in your way in the end. Because this is a God thing. And it's God who 
stands behind you, and he's already proven it through what he's done in Jesus. Life makes Survivor Man look like a vacation. Because this is a survival in its ultimate sense in which the hope of what's to come gets your feet going and the riches of the inheritance allows you to dig your heels in when the going gets tough. And the guarantee that God's going to get you there in the end allows you to somehow, when you have nothing left of yourself, to keep trekking on. So what's the takeaway? What's the takeaway for the week ahead? Well, one of the most significant aspects of what Paul is praying here in these verses as he closes out Ephesians chapter 1 is that both with where we're headed and how that's reflected in our lives today, the story of our survival isn't a solo act, at least not for us. If anyone, Jesus is the survivor man. But for us, it's not a solo act. Les Stroud is hailed as the creator of this survival genre in television. And he's hailed as a purist because he did it by himself. As his website says, Stroud is, it says, the only producer in the history of television to produce an internationally broadcast series entirely written, videotaped, and hosted alone. That's why you had to be a specific type to bear Survivor Man. Survivor Man was about just that. One man's will to survive. But surviving for ten days in the tundra is a whole different story than surviving the onslaughts of hell. Jesus did it alone. But you and I were never meant to. And just as we saw last week that we as a community of believers are together blessed. We ought to recognize this week that we are together bound. That where we're headed and how that's reflected in our lives today isn't about me and Jesus or you and Jesus, but about us and Jesus. It's about God's people living with God together, bound for glory. But it's also, it's also about us being together bound. Bound together, but together bound. Bound with one another to walk this journey arm in arm. It's an interesting picture, but I've spent some time in Ethiopia um, on the Horn of Africa. And culturally, there's many differences. I can tell you about them sometime. One of the differences that was most remarkable and almost most unsettling was the fact that as you're walking down the street, you'll constantly see two men or two women walking together arm in arm. It's what they do. Because as a cultural symbol, 
that life can't be lived alone. Now, we don't do that. Ted Paul might do that. Jeff Lewis won, maybe. But we ought to be living life together. So I, I know for the last couple weeks I've been encouraging you to go out and to see what God might do in and through you. This week I want you to take a turn back. And as you continue that, continue to reach out to those God has put in your life that you are uniquely equipped, uniquely situated to reach with the gospel of Jesus, I want you to turn back. And I want you this week to connect with one person, one person from Kish. And some of you I know already do this on a regular basis, so maybe take this as an opportunity to connect with someone new. Connect with one person over coffee, or maybe that's in, a, in home groups. Connect with one person and share with them your struggles and ask them to share it with you. And then remind each other of where we're going and remind each other that it's going to be worth it when we get there and remind each other that getting there isn't dependent on you, but God who's going to do it for you. Kevin, I hope you don't mind if I use you as an example, but a couple weeks ago, we ran into each other in the office. And Kevin did just that. He particularly asked if we wanted to get together to sing and pray. Now, I'm quite intimidated by the singing part. But I know that at its heart, this is, in its own variation, this is what I need. This is what we need. Because life wasn't meant to be lived alone. So connect with one person. One person. And remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. Remember where we're going. Remind each other of it. Remind each other that it's going to be worth it when we get there. And remind each other that getting there isn't about us. And then remind others about it too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, with, pray, with Paul, I pray that we would have the eyes of our hearts enlightened. That we would know what is the hope to which you have called us. What is the glorious riches, the riches of your glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. That for those who you've gotten on the journey, you're not done yet. I pray we would remember it and remind one another all of our days. Amen. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H Bible dot O-R-G.